Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about some big changes that have been announced for the next synod. That's the Synod on Synodality that was scheduled for 2022. Now we know that it's going to be a two-year process, starting on the diocesan level this October and concluding with a Roman meeting in 2023. We'll give you all the details on that. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny and warm Rome, Colleen. You have a holiday tomorrow, right? Yes, the Feast of the Republic. And we just had Memorial Day, so a little short week for both of us. Yeah, and uh, here it's there's a real atmosphere of coming back to life. Yeah? Uh, yeah, we think that in another week we'll be in the white zone, which means that all the restrictions will be lifted. Great. We'll be, we'll be back in perhaps until midnight, the curfew. Right now, it's 11 o'clock in the evening. Uh, but the good news is that the number of deaths, the number of new cases has dropped considerably under the 100 deaths per day, which is still a lot, but it's 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 an improvement. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks like the government is giving clearance now to vaccinate uh, young people between 12 and 15. Great, great. It's neither an absolute monarchy nor a parliament. The church is synodal by nature. It's precisely this concept that will be the focus of the next assembly of bishops in Rome in October 2022. The synod's theme will be for a synodal church, communion, participation, and mission. It's a concept popes have been developing since the Second Vatican Council. We should get into our Vatican news. So a couple weeks ago, we had our special episode with Austin Ivory last week, the week before that. The Vatican announced that the Synod on Synodality that we've been talking about, which was scheduled for 2022, is now being pushed to 2023. And that's partly because of the pandemic, but it's also to allow time for a new method of conducting the Synod. So starting in October of this year, there's going to be a diocesan listening phase in every diocese around the world. And then that'll go on to a continental phase in 2022 and a final phase in Rome in 2023. We also have our topic for the Synod now. It is called For a Synodal Church, Communion, Participation, and Mission. So just a little bit of background on synods, what they are, how often they happen. Pope Francis has basically held a lot more synods than past popes, right? He holds them every couple of years. We've had big ones on the family, on Amazonia that our listeners will probably remember just a couple of years ago. And basically, this is a gathering of representatives of the bishops from from different countries or from around the world coming to Rome to discuss and discern together and, and listen to one another, listen to their ideas about 
the needs of the church in that region or, you know, in that certain focus area. So, Jerry, why the change to this synodal process? Why take it from being this one event at the Vatican to being a longer process that involves listening at a diocesan level and then discernment at a continental level and then a final Roman part? Well, I I think in two things. First, we're going back to what was quite common in the first millennium of Christianity and what, what is still quite common in the Eastern and in the Orthodox churches. That kind of getting together of the bishops, the priests, the religious and the lay people to discuss issues that are of concern to them in the local church. Now, Francis is really sees his mission as to continue the implementation of the Second Vatican Council. And Vatican II really wanted to revive the practice of synods, right? Prior to Pope Francis, the synods were a kind of a one-off event. It happened in Rome, representatives of the bishops' conferences, two or three, depending on each conference, for a total of about 200, came to Rome. They would meet together for about three weeks. It was a long process. And uh, then they would draw some conclusions, which then the Pope decided he would follow up or not, as, as the case may be. And also the, the Pope and the Vatican, they limited what could be discussed on any given subject. Francis, as Archbishop in Buenos Aires, had actually participated in a number of synods, and he found this way of working is not really very productive. Why is that? Because, first of all, the there was taboos on what could be discussed, so it wasn't a free discussion. And he, he really felt it was really, the, the process was really straightjacketed. Secondly, you didn't really get to some of the issues in depth. So he immediately he became Pope, and he made it very clear in his first programmatic document, The Joy of the Gospel, Evangelia Gaudium, he made very clear that we need a process of conversion in the church. He said, it will start in the papacy. I will see what needs conversion here, but it has to go right down to the parishes to the diocese, to the parishes. And then he started this synodal process. And he saw this as being very much in line with what the Second Vatican Council wanted. He wants all the church to be involved on the synod, not just have a pyramidal church where the bishops up there decide and talk and decide what's good for the people without even consulting the people. And so he says a synod has to be a process where you start in the local church. You see what they are thinking about this subject. Cardinal Grech, who is the general secretary of the Synod of Bishops, he he described this as taking the Synod from an event into a process. So then my next question for you is, what what topics are people going to be discussing? Because, you know, we, we've been talking about this as a, a Synod on Synodality. Now we have these three topics, right? Communion, participation, and mission. Those still seem really broad to me. Will, on the diocesan level, people just be sitting around saying, how can we be synodal? I I feel like most people don't even know what that word means. So I'm wondering what topics are going to be part of these discussions, animating these discussions. Uh, So he's opening a way of understanding church and saying, we all have a role, not just the bishops. The, The church is not just the bishops. Everybody who is baptized is part of this church and has a contribution to make. So now they will be asked, 
the Synod Secretariat is going to send them a handbook. We don't know what's in it. But what we do know is that we're talking about three topics. Communion, the fact that uh, how do people in a local diocese understand that they're all working together, not polarized, fighting each other, but working together, each contributing in their own way with a mission. And the mission is to bring Christ to the world. So I'm hearing communion. So this this view of ourselves as, as the people of God, as a community working together. I'm hearing mission, the evangelization focus. So what about participation? The participation is the understanding that each one has a different role. Each one is contributing. The bishop's role is not the same role as as, as the layperson who's working in a company or in, in, in an office or in a teaching job. They're different roles, but they have the same mission. The same mission is in their own way of life, in their way of being, that they try to show the love of God and live this love. Okay, so we have a general sense of what's going to be discussed, and we know that there are these three levels. Let's dig into this process a little bit further. So first we have this diocesan phase, and I'm wondering what this looks like, because I remember before the Synod on the Family, you know, some some churches had listening sessions, right? And I remember before the Synod on Young People, there was a survey sent out, you know, that they wanted young people who were Catholic or not, various, you know, affiliations. They wanted everyone to fill this out. So this diocesan listening phase, what does it look like? Is there any centralized way of doing it? So much will depend on the local bishop, Colleen. There are about 5,000 bishops around the world, 5,000 dioceses in all continents. I think what we've got here is we've Francis is asking the bishops to be creative. He doesn't want them just to talk to the magic circle of 10 people whom they normally consult and everything. He wants them to reach out, that they've got parishes, they've got people in different parishes doing things. They may have people that they've never, ever spoken to. And I, I, I suspect what I, I imagine what will happen is that some bishops will do something, those who are more enthusiastic about this, and others will say, well, we're, we're getting on fine. Now, so some bishops have said to me, you know, we haven't been given much lead-in time. Now, the bishops aren't totally left on their own on this, right? The Vatican said that they're going to send a handbook with some proposals on on how to do this listening, how to do this phase. Do we know anything about what's in the handbook, what they're proposing? I, I have no idea, Colleen, but I suspect that the, the Synod Secretariat has worked over many years and it sees how diocese and bishops work. And so it's got some ideas. And the, the message is clear. What you're trying to do is kind of arouse, wake up the people of God in a local church and get them to realize, you know, it's not the bishops who are running the church. We're also part of the church. Let's talk like pretty specifically now. So there's going to be these listening sessions, and then they're going to take that input and send it to the regional bishops' conference. And then the bishops' conference is going to have a period of discernment. They'll draft a working document. They send that to Rome. 
And then Rome is going to send out for the next phase, which starts in fall 2022, a document that kind of synthesizes what came out of those bishops' conferences discernment periods. And then on a continental level, the bishops will discuss together what this looks like. And Jerry, looking through this process, it was raising the question for me of, after this diocesan listening session, it seems like we're getting a lot of bishops, right? A lot of the bishops coming together, discerning together, you know, synthesizing this information. But I also know that we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, the involvement of women, of lay people in the synod, in these synodal processes. Am I wrong in thinking that that after the diocesan level, it's it's mostly just bishops making the decisions? Or how does this work? Who's involved? Whether it will be just bishops or whether they will be representatives of lay people, of the religious orders, we don't know. It, it's not clear yet. But but that's that's a year away. Right. So then we go on to the Rome phase, right? What what Cardinal Grech in this big interview that he did about the changes in this synod, he called the universal church phase. And he also called it the celebratory phase. It sounds like the this process in Rome is supposed to follow kind of the same guidelines that are already in place for Roman synods that have been in place since 2018. But hearing it called the celebratory phase sounded like it might be something different. So how will this Roman phase look different from, from other synods that we've seen in Rome during this pontificate? Well, what will happen first of all? You have the continental synods. And each of them, at the end of the discernment by the bishops of the continent, of Asia, of Africa, of America, Europe, etc., when they put it together, they will send their feedback to Rome. And Rome will then work on a final working document. So they'll try to put it together. And so that when the bishops come to Rome, representatives of each of the bishops' conferences come to Rome, with a certain number of lay people, with a certain number of religious, uh, etc., they will be discussing this synthesis document from the different continents. So, so why is Cardinal Greco out here calling this a, a celebratory phase? What's the celebration? Well, you celebrate a synod, and so like you celebrate a mass, you actually come together, and different people have their different roles. In a way, it's a celebration because it's it's the final step of a long process, which has involved a lot of work by a lot of people. So there's something to celebrate. So it's not just people coming, arriving with their own ideas as if they're going to push a motion through parliament. No. So it will be something that they will work together, process together, listen, mutual listening, discern, and then they will give the Pope the conclusions. So it sounds like the idea of a celebration as a group coming together, maybe. Yes. Uh, I mean, how would you describe the, the Eucharistic celebration? You would describe it as a coming together to do something, to re- remember, to to pray. to So there are different functions in the celebration. You've had the, the diocesan phase, and then which culminates in the national. You have the continental phase, and then you have the universal phase. And then there's another phase, the implementation. Yes, the afterwards, always the important part. So Jerry, looking at the big picture of this, you know, we've been talking also um, about the different synodal processes that are happening around the world. We're seeing synodal processes in Germany, in Ireland, in Australia. And now we have this big move on the part of the Vatican towards turning the synod as Cardinal Grech said, from an event into a process. And I want to just give some like bigger picture context on this. Like, 
why is this all happening now? Why are we seeing this big swell in synodality? And, and what does that mean for the church? Well, you've had many synods since the Second Vatican Council. But only in recent years have you got a different type of synod, one which is really trying very deeply to involve all the people of God, not just one part of the people of God. Not just the bishops, you mean? Yeah. And this is very important because, you know, the world is changing a lot. I, I, I was thinking, you know, Colleen, is it possible to have this synod in China today? And I think it is not. And there you have 1.4 billion people. Will it be possible to have it in India right now, which is going through a terrible crisis? I've been to a number of countries in Africa. It's difficult. But what Francis is trying to say is, you know, we're part of all, this is part of our church. And so if we get even a little input from the churches there, it's something. But they will also feel that they're in communion with the universal church. So what will it look like at the end? Francis, you know, he's not looking for a finished product. What he's looking for is something has started. Right. And so the point of this is to listen to, you know, both places that are really, really struggling with just the basic operations of being church, right? And, you know, at the same time, also listening to, you know, these other countries that are undergoing, like Germany, you know, pretty daring, almost synodal processes where, you know, anything is on the table to discuss and and somehow they're trying to bring all of these together into some kind of synthesis and some kind of more universal understanding of church, it seems like. Yes, and I think what will it mean for people to get a greater idea of what it means to be Catholic, to have this universal vision, to realize that you're not just, you know, I'm a Texan or I'm a Peruvian. You know, as Catholic, you're part of a global church which has got big problems in some areas, which is going reasonably well in others, but which has a major task. Jerry, there is so much more that we can discuss and definitely will discuss about this process uh, here on Inside the Vatican, but we're going to have to leave it there for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me about this. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. And I hope maybe one day we should go and check around with the bishops in the United States and ask what they are doing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We'll call them all up. We'll make 200 phone calls. (laughs) All right, Jerry. I will see you next time. Thank you. Before we go, we have a few headlines for you. First off, Pope Francis has appointed a new team at the Congregation for Divine Worship. This is the Vatican office that handles liturgy, that handles mass translations, that kind of thing. Now, back in February, Pope Francis had accepted the resignation of Cardinal Robert Seurat, the Ghanaian cardinal, who had been heading up this congregation. And now he has named the former secretary, the former number two, Archbishop Arthur Roche, as the new prefect. Now, our listeners might remember that it was a little bit unusual when Pope Francis accepted the resignation of Cardinal Seurat back in February because he didn't immediately name a successor. And Pope Francis, in a highly unusual move, sent the Italian bishop, who had worked on mass translations for the Italian Bishops' Conference, to visit the Congregation for Divine Worship. We had not seen this kind of a visitation of this high ranking of a Vatican office before. But the reasoning that was given was basically that they wanted to find out what the needs in the Congregation for Divine Worship were. Well, there are rumors flying that Pope Francis may have told the Italian Bishops' Conference that he was thinking about putting some new restrictions on the celebration of the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass. 
No one's been able to confirm those yet, though we have seen the Pope take some steps towards limiting the celebration of the Latin Mass in St. Peter's. There were some new restrictions placed on that earlier this spring. So what do we make of all of this? We have a new head of the Congregation for Divine Worship, and this man, Arthur Roche, who we talked to on Inside the Vatican last year, actually. He's also demonstrated a commitment to the implementation of Vatican II. Jerry's sources concluded that basically this is another sign of Pope Francis trying to implement Vatican II and particularly Vatican II's reforms of the liturgy. So we have a lot more on that that you can read at americamagazine.org. You can read Jerry's story, and I will link to that, of course, in the show notes. The other big news today, today is Tuesday, June 1st. The new revision of Book 4 of the Code of Canon Law has been published, and this is the first time that that book has been revised since 1983, and it took 14 years of study to make these changes. There's obviously a lot to say here. The big changes in this deal with sexual abuse and canon laws, so that's church laws, around sexual abuse. For example, this explicitly criminalizes the sexual abuse of adults by priests, so acknowledging that as an abuse of authority. It also says that lay people who hold church office can be sanctioned for similar sex crimes. And for the first time, it criminalizes the grooming of minors or vulnerable adults to engage in pornography. This is significant because it's the first time that the Vatican has really recognized as a crime these methods that are used by sexual predators to build relationships with their victims in order to sexually exploit them. We'll have a lot more on this story, digging into the details next week on the podcast. And in the meantime, you can find our print coverage at americamagazine.org. I will also link to it in the show notes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Stefano Maiero at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your comments and questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.